Man, it is, it is so good to be here this morning. I, I've watched so many people walk in um, from, from the back and, and from our live stream. And uh, one of my favorite parts is uh, we, ha- we have some of our regulars who have their unofficial assigned seat that's here, at, uh, <laughs> that's here this morning. And they walk in, they realize uh, somebody took their scripturally unofficial assigned seat. And so if you're looking around like, what is going on right now? Because I'm used to a different angle of worship, then welcome. It's good to be here. Uh, I'm going to start, I'd like to start with this, something a little unique, a little different, but I'm going to pray a prayer that I don't think I've prayed here before, but it's very simple. And if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to invite you to join in with me. But something unique, uh, something that Paul writes about is, is when we pray, he wants people to lift up holy hands. And so if we'll go palms up, if you don't mind, you don't have to raise them super high or anything and draw attention, just right here is totally fine. But we're going to ask God, uh, you are good and you are just doing amazing things this morning. Not just here at Cinco Ranch, but at so many places in our community and, and, and in our state and our country and, and around the world this morning. And this is a special morning we remember that the tomb is empty. And your son is alive and has overcome death. And so, God, this morning, our hands are open because I ask you, God, do something this morning here that you've never done before in someone's life. Do something here, God, that it go to your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And so uh, there's going to be a, a few really special moments here this morning in, in a variety of ways. And uh, I want to kind of wrap up what we've, what we've been talking about in, in our series this morning. You see, we've been going through the different I am statements. And in the Gospel of John, there's, there's seven. And there's been questions of why are there seven different statements? Why do those statements change and vary? Why do they look different? And in some ways they're connected, but in a lot of ways they're not. I am the bread of life. I am the light. I am uh, the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine. You know, in some ways those can have a connection, but in some ways they might look a little different from one another. He said these at different times and to different people. And how does the resurrection of Jesus, he, he's He lives, he's arrested, he's crucified, and he overcomes the grave, he comes back to life. And we don't have an an official I am statement after this, but we do have a number of different statements and conversations that Jesus has with people. And I think part of that is going to have to do with our different stages of life and where we've noticed God and where we've noticed Jesus Christ be whoever people need him to be in that moment. Perhaps that's why the different shapes and forms of the I am statements happen. Even when we go all the way back to Exodus chapter three, when we get the very first I am statement, it's not from Christ, but from God. I am who I am. And in this moment, it it even traces back to Genesis chapter two, where this I am shows up and it's this relational God, not, not the cosmic God that, that we might read about in Genesis 1. It's the word, the Greek word actually changes there. And all of a sudden it's relational. It's this in our relationships, we are the people whom we need to be to those who need us. Whether that be spouse, parent, sibling, friend, teacher, whatever that might need to look like. And God 
takes the same shape and form to those people. And so I thought this morning would be a really great opportunity for us to explore what that looks like through the testimony of one individual. And so uh, I picked my favorite individual in this church. No offense to the rest of you, but if you guys wouldn't mind, would you welcome my wife out on the stage? This is Ashley. We all welcome her out. So uh, first of all, congratulations on picking matching outfits for our whole family. Thank you. I take great pride in that. Oh, I know. Nailed it. I know. Nailed it. it. So so I guess we'll, we'll start with part of the reason that that we we practiced a little bit earlier this week. And the reason we had to practice isn't because she might forget her story so much as if we covered the whole story, we'd be here till uh, like, you know, 1 p.m. And some of y'all would just get up and walk out. Like we get it. We're like, hey, the prime rib, it only stays warm for so long. We understand. So we we summarize some things. So let's go through, uh, like, let's talk about just different parts of your story. So we'll start, you were born and, and then you turned 19. Yes. And we'll skip to that point. And so at 19, your life took a different shift. And, and we can talk a few things about upbringing, how it might look different, unique, but um, you're, you're kind of living this typical life in a lot of ways. Uh, you, you didn't, could you talk a little bit about your faith before leading up to this? So before that, I was actually raised, and I, I think some of y'all know this, uh, in, as Messianic Jewish. And so I had a good understanding of God. Um, and I had a great understanding of the holy days uh, in the Jewish traditions, but I didn't have a personal relationship. Everything was about rules, what you do and you don't do, what you can and can't eat. Um, but I didn't have the need or relationship with the Savior. And so um, when I turned 19, something pinnacle happened. I found myself in unplanned pregnancy, and I was faced with what to do. Um, I ultimately decided to parent that child, and I'm very grateful um, because now I have beautiful Audrey in my life, who's such a blessing. Um, And then when I was 19, and and you're single in a small town, I got matched up on a blind date at seven months pregnant, because that's great, and what every every guy wants. That's what every guy wants, Yeah, seven-month pregnant woman, that's the dream. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, I look like Shamu. And, uh, but I got matched up because I needed to get married and sent on a blind date. And that ended up being later in my story would have been my husband, Michael. Mm. And, um, and then, and then my story took a turn. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And so when, um, Audrey was four months old, my, um, my dad who had been involved with Enron lost all the money. None of us knew. And one morning, he woke up, and he stabbed his wife of over 35 years to death. And then he shot himself with a shotgun. And in one swoop, I was homeless because we were losing our house, and I lived with my parents. And I was orphaned, and I was faced with what to do in this situation. Um, And... It never, it felt like a bad Lifetime movie, and it wasn't anything that would happen. My dad was, um, I could count on one hand how many times my dad yelled at me. He was a kind man and a loving man, and he loved my mom greatly, but he was so depressed, he just felt like there was no other option. And so I'm faced with being all alone with a four-month-old 
and what to do. And God did some amazing things in my life. And probably the first one um, that stands out is we had to pay for the funerals. And it was $11,000. And no money, right? Nothing. At this point, just because it had all been nothing. gone. The yeah. electricity's being turned off. I mean, we, there was nothing. Uh, my sisters, um, I'm one of uh, uh, four girls, and we are all rallying. My youngest sister is only 14 at the time. And we don't know what we're going to do. So we put it on a corporate credit card, the funeral expenses, and if we don't pay it off by the end of the month, um, someone's going to lose their job. And I remember I kind of put myself through college, um, pet setting and working horses. And so one of my clients, as I was cleaning stalls, came out to see how I was after um, a few days after I lost my parents. And I was just telling her, I was like, I don't know what we're going to do. Um, I have no idea how we're going to pay for this funeral. And she went back to her house and she came back down to the barn and um, walked up to me and she handed me an $11,000 check. And I remember telling her, I can't even imagine paying this back. At that time, $11,000 doesn't sound like a lot, but it could have been a $2 million check. That's how big it felt. And, and the need was so great right then. Um, and the sweet woman told me that it was a gift of love and that one day I would have opportunities to love others and I would do it. And we don't have $11,000 to hand out very no, often. No, we don't. <laughs> I gave a 20 to Lilia's place this morning. I felt like oh, we were going to go I know. It was, it, so. I saw that. I was kind of it yeah. hurt. Uh, yeah. Don't judge us, okay? <laughs> I was like, ooh, high roller over there. Uh, but we don't have that necessarily, those kind of gifts that we can give. But I take it on that I can hold a baby when someone needs a break. Or I have made probably a million batches of my poppy seed chicken and taken them to people over the years. I've sat with people and I've been there for people in ways to love them. And so that's kind of every time that those needs arise, I think about that. That it's not, I don't have 11,000, but I can do this for God. And I can love people in this extravagant way, just like the sweet, the sweet Sally loved me. Um, so then, so... You're able to pay for the funeral. You're able to cover that cost. But you have other things that you're trying to figure out now because now you don't have a home. You have this little baby girl. And so, and then you're working. You're a student. You're trying to transfer into, you were at Blinn, and then you try to transfer into A&M. And so... Well, yeah, come on. Where's my whoopers? <laughs> one of these days, I'm going to reference Oklahoma Christian. I'm going to do the screeching eagle sound and you're going to be haunted by it no, and just because yeah so um so you're trying to figure out life though you're a student you've got this little girl so you can't really work full time you got to find a place to stay um and, and then in addition to that you can't take a little baby into classes so what do you do from there so my best friend was moving also transferring from Blinn to A&M as well and she was living with a roommate already in a two-bedroom apartment and the other roommate worked at a daycare. And um, so she told the owners what was going on in my life. And they, um, some, a baby graduated, he was advanced, uh, and they made a spot for Audrey, which was huge because there was no spots to be had for a four month old in College Station for a daycare that you would want to utilize. And so I went in to do the paperwork and the sweet Christian couple offered me 
a 50% discount um, on my daycare cost if I would go to church with them one time. And um, y'all, if it had been a snake kiss in church, I would have been there. And I would have kissed the snake. No judgment to those of you who normally attend a snake no, kissing church. I mean, that's... Just really out of our comfort zone. That's yeah, all. no. Um, I don't really love snakes, but I was desperate. Because I really only had the money from my student loans to do about two months worth of expenses. And then I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, so this was huge. And so um, they went to a Baptist church in uh, College Station, Living Hope. And I was late and y'all see where the seats are when you're late. Front row, baby. You get late, you know where you're sitting. That's front right. Row. And so I made the, this walk of shame to the front row. And I sat there and I broke down. And the only way I can ever describe it, and it doesn't really do it justice, but I felt like I had been really lost. Um, back in the day, children, there was no uh, Google Maps. We had this thing called MapQuest. Um, and so if you made a wrong turn, there was no rerouting. You just had to kind of figure it out. And I felt like I had been really lost all of my life. And I had been searching for something. And I found it in that church, in that moment, that I needed a savior. And I ugly cried, y'all. Y'all know the cry with the snot. Um, it was not pretty. Um, about four people brought me tissues, so that's how bad it was. Um, but it wasn't out of sadness. It was out of finally realizing I had a father that was never going to hurt me. I had a heavenly Savior that loved me no matter what I did. And I needed this. I needed God so badly, and I needed a Savior so much. And um, at that point, that was a huge pinnacle point of just realizing uh, what life was really about. And it really was about serving God. Yeah. So, but all the while you've got this guy you started dating at seven months pregnant and did he disappear? Did he run away? What happened with that guy? Y'all. So first I'm seven months pregnant and he takes me out on a second date. That's weird. And then my parents are crazy. My whole family's crazy. I'm a hot mess. And, and he stuck around. And uh, so Michael and I got married. And Michael was a, an amazing, amazing man. And a good godly man that grew up in the Church of Christ. Um, and so when we were getting ready to get married, I was not uh, questionable what church we were going to go to. Uh, and so we started attending a um, his local Church of Christ, and then we went to Brenham because we needed a little younger population in the church he was at, and uh, made some amazing friends, and, and I got baptized right before we got married, and life was good. We were really involved in the church. We ended up having another sweet baby, um, Addison, and life was really good, and I figured, I like, I had it figured out. I go to church, I'm good, yeah. I... You, know, you, did, you did all the requirements yes, you have to do, right? Y'all, yeah. I did Sunday night every week. Yeah. I was going to heaven yeah. and, um, and Wednesday night. And I didn't miss a Bible class. I knew this was it. I was good. I listened to God. I was on fire for the Lord. I was doing, oh, ladies, y'all will get this. I was doing three Beth Moore Bible studies all at one time. That is a commitment. That is a commitment. And I was just wanted to know all about God. I felt like I was catching up because everyone else knew a lot more about Jesus and had this depth of knowledge that I didn't have. And so I was in the Word all the time. Life was 
fantastic. I was good, and he, you know, gave me blessings. And I was like, this is how it works. And, but then it, it changed again because it's like, well, God owed you this, right? Because you gave your life over to him. You were doing all the Bible studies. You were being everything. You were volunteering. And then something happened, though, after this because life was good. You had a good marriage. You had these two beautiful girls, and they were being raised in the church. And, and you were doing everything right. And oftentimes the, the mind frame we get is if we do these things right or correct and good, then, well, all our life will will go correctly, but that's not exactly how life goes. And so when did it change for you? Um, I was 27 and um, Audrey was seven and Addison was two. And one night um, I woke up to my husband making uh, awkward noise and um, I realized that something was really wrong. He was having a seizure um, and called 911, he's life lighted down to Memorial Herman, um, and we learned that he has had a massive brain aneurysm. And my whole world stopped. And it's a, when you go through someone with having a neurological um, distress like that, it is up and down. So that's what it was. It was, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're running to surgery right now. We're gonna do um, a coil in, and then it's, the doctor's coming in and saying he's not doing well. We have to do a full craniotomy. And as Casey shared recently, there were people there who laid on the carpet at the hospital. Y'all, that's nasty because that's the only place I could be. I just fell down and they laid on top of me and they cried on me um, and were there for me. And there were so many people like that in our lives and church members and family members and everyone rallied. Everyone loved Michael. He was, he was a character. You wanna know, hang out with Addison. Um, she did not, she's a lot like her daddy. Sweet, tender-hearted, and super funny. And um, everyone is surrounding us and we're going through this. And then ultimately after about four days, they do a CAT scan and they inform me he's not gonna live. He has bled into three of his four ventricles and he's gonna die. And we knew, it wasn't a question, we knew how he'd wanna live, he would not wanna be on a ventilator. And so um, we chose to discontinue care. And so I then had to walk alongside my two daughters as they came and said goodbye to Daddy. And it was, and watching his family, and everyone was brokenhearted. Um, we decided the next day we were going to discontinue care. And um, as everyone was coming, all his friends and family were coming to say goodbye. We had over 350 people come that morning to say goodbye to him. Hospital staffs notice things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they noticed. They kicked us out of a couple of waiting rooms. We were, there was a lot of people. Um, and, but when I was that morning, I chose not to be there for that. I actually went and found one of those little hospital chapels and I went and I, I prayed and a friend of mine, Patty, came and prayed over me and held me and I cried and I fought, I wrestled with God. Um, I knew what the decision was. I knew that he was going to die that day, but I had to get to a place where I could accept it. 
And so I did. I had finally come and gotten to a place where I could say it as well with my soul that he was going to go. And I knew where he was going. He was a godly man, but I had to get comfortable with the idea. But I had one request. I just wanted it to go easy. I want it to be peaceful. Um, I don't know. At 27, I had no idea what someone dying was like. And so I drew upon the only reference a southern woman has, still magnolias. And <laughs> that's what I thought it was going to be like. Like, I thought it was going to be Sally Fields, y'all. And they were going to, you know, pull the sheen, and he was going to go. And it was going to be quick and easy. It was eight and a half hours of my husband gasping for every breath. It was so intense, the family all started in the room and they couldn't be there anymore. And the only people that were there the entire time was me and my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law was not saying goodbye to my 34-year-old husband. She was saying goodbye to her baby, her firstborn, the one that made her a mom. And it was truly felt like the worst of the worst to me. And I, I was bitter. I was bitter at God. Because I had gotten, I was going to let him have him. You can have him. Just make it easy on us. And um, I lived with that bitterness for about a year. I, wouldn't, I would pray, but I wouldn't for other people, but I would not talk to God. I was at church every time the doors were open. But I was mad at him, and I was going to show him because I wasn't going to talk to him. Um, but thank goodness I have a, a better father in heaven, and he is patient. And so at a year, um, on the year, one-year anniversary, we chose to go to the hospital and to take some cookies to thank the nurses. Man, I could talk for hours about the nurses that were on that unit and had served and the ways God had put them there. Um, just amazing stories how God had gone before me. And, um, but we, we go with our cookies because... You know, level four uh, ICU neuro facility at Memorial Hermann is a rough place. Every night, there were about five people that died every single night in that unit. It's a small unit. People don't walk out of that unit. People seldomly leave alive from that unit. Um, and the trauma, they don't, they don't come out well. And we knew that. And so I thought it was important to thank the nurses. Even though the outcome wasn't what we wanted, I was going to love on them anyways. And so I walk in, and one of the gals was like, well, who were your nurses? And most of them weren't there that day, but there was one. And I went up to him, and I started the conversation of, I know you don't remember me. And he stopped me immediately, goes, oh, Ashley, I remember y'all. How are the girls? And he shared that what he saw in those eight and a half hours was so different from what I saw. He saw us singing worship songs praying, reading scripture, and having hope of seeing Michael again. And he said he had kind of gone away from his faith, and he chose to, that next Sunday, go back to church. Because he said, I never questioned where your husband was going. And he goes, and I realized I had some doubts on myself, and I wanted my family to have the assurance of hope. And so that was the lesson of learning it's not about me. It's more about God's kingdom. And sometimes when we go through really 
hard situations, we want to figure out where the good is for us. And sometimes it has nothing to do with us. Sometimes it's just good for the kingdom. Yeah. And, and so then you transition this new phase of life that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy of this being a single mom to two kids who are working through grief on their own front and figuring out life of how am I supposed to do this? What is, what is God up to, especially in this midst of this hurt? And so what, what did you do in response, like moving forward with your life? What did you, what did you do? Um, I, I did a career change so I could be with my girls more. And I started teaching at Westbury Christian. And um, I was blessed with really good family. Um, I'm still close to my in-laws. We were with them yesterday. Um, they love all my kids, no matter who they came from. And just like all their grandchildren, they count them. Um, and so that was huge. They were a huge blessing. And after I lost Michael, they, they said, we're praying for your future husband. And, um, and, and I really did appreciate that. Um, that was such a, a sweet gift they gave me. And so I'm teaching at Westbury. And then one day, this, they hire this young punk to be the campus minister. And this young punk had actually done mission work in Honduras. He had lived in, in Tennessee with my in-laws. And so they knew him. And so my father-in-law, Preston, goes, hey, there's this kid named Casey that's there. You need to introduce him and make the connection, make him feel welcome at Westbury. And so I did. And, um, you know, God had been weaving Casey and I's story together in a really special way. Um, and so when he was on mission trips with the family, I was in the process of marrying Michael mm -hmm. and becoming a part of that family. And so Casey and I start dating, and he had to try kind of hard, but I eventually said yes. And um, we start dating, and then my father-in-law marries us. It was such a sweet moment um, because he loved us both. And um, just this really amazing expression of God's love. And um, we go on and have two cute little kids most of the time. And uh, sometimes they're not so cute, y'all. Uh, let's be honest. It's Easter. Let's be honest. Um, but, you know, we have built this life. And I think the really cool thing about you know, as we're wrapping up these I am statements, is that not only is God all these things in my story, he provided in amazing ways. And I really could spend all day talking about the people and the places and the things he did that were just, just awesome. But I also love that God, because we are believers and have the hope and the Holy Spirit inside of us, sometimes God allows us to be that I am statement to others. And so Sally with $11,000 check was my good shepherd in that moment. The nurse that had lost a dad at a young age and told me that I still, I needed to do the hard thing of letting my girls say goodbye to him in person. You know, she was, she was the door to something that I needed to get through. And I think that sometimes when we look at those I am statements, that's even more powerful than that God's all those things to us. But we actually, as believers, get to be all those things to sometimes other people. Um, and sometimes we don't know what God's doing. Um, 
I love the analogy of, I shared this at the ladies' retreat, but I love the analogy of that God is weaving a tapestry and we are on the wrong side. So if you've ever seen the back side of a tapestry, it is a hot mess, y'all. It is bunches of color that don't make sense and it there's no picture. It's just a bunch of knots and mess and threads that don't make sense. And, you know, one day we get to go to the other side of the tapestry and we get to see how God needed me to go through those things. If I had never lost Michael, I would have never married Casey. I would have never had Gatlin and Millie and I would never be here. And the wonderful family I get to share now, my church family. And so I think that sometimes we forget that God's weaving this beautiful tapestry and we want to make sense out of the hard threads, the black thread. But sometimes we aren't going to get to see that until we um, get to the other side. But it's Easter, so we get to celebrate today that we have that hope of getting to the other side because of what Jesus did for us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I know we're, like I said, we are, we are paring down a lot of what your story is just for time constraints, but um, there was a whole lot of transparency that took place this morning. Thank you so much. Do you guys mind showing your appreciation to Ashley for sharing this? So, so much of what we wanted to illustrate and, and, and share in, in this moment is, is how God is so many things to so many of us. Um, how, how God has, has done some incredible things in our lives and our stories. And if we stopped and said, we're going to invite anyone who wants to come up and share how God was exactly who we needed to be, there would be a long line and we'd be here for the rest of the day. Because God has, has shown up in so many ways. And, but at the same time, there might be some of you who might be sitting there thinking, but God's never shown up like that for me. Where is God in the midst of these things? Well, our praise team, y'all can come on out. Um, when, as they come out, I want to share the, the story that Cami that read through at the beginning of worship this morning. It's about a guy named Thomas. And, and I honestly feel for Thomas because Thomas's nickname, if you know about, if you've raised it in like Bible class, you know that Thomas's nickname is Doubting Thomas. Do you have any idea how unlucky this guy is to get that nickname? Like when, when Jesus gets arrested, all the apostles run away, but you don't hear about runaway James. You don't hear about denying Peter. You don't hear about those guys. You just hear about Doubting Thomas, who made one very simple statement. That was it. He said, unless I can touch the holes in Jesus's hands and feet, unless I can put my hand into his side that was pierced, then I won't believe. And it's so fascinating. He gets such a bad rap for all of this. <laughs> and yet, in this story, Jesus shows up for him in a unique way. So as a part of that, something that ends up occurring in this story is this experience that Thomas has where Jesus shows up in this room and Thomas is, is there and Jesus goes specifically to Thomas in front of all the apostles. And he says, and he says this, Thomas, put your hands on my, on my hands. Put your hands on my feet. Put your hand into my side. Feel where these things happen. And while it might sound like he is 
doubting. And he's like, no, I don't believe this. Instead, it's something very different. It's Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, the light, the resurrection, the light, the door, the good shepherd, the gate. Because Jesus is looking at Thomas here and now and saying, I am exactly who you need me to be right now. And so you had that opportunity to do the exact same thing. If you wouldn't mind standing, our prayer team, we have a group of people trained to just love and pray on you. They're going to head to the back right now. And wherever season of life you are, if you're wondering who Jesus is, you're like, I'd love to know more about this. If you are experiencing loss and hurt, if you are experiencing something where you need help and appreciation, if you just want to go hug on Ashley, she's in the back too. But it's in this moment where Jesus, who said so many I am things, he's saying, I will be here for you here and now in this season. And I will be whoever you need me to be in this moment. Because this traces all the way back to the very beginning where God tells us, I am who I am.